0: All right, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. It's almost in the middle, if that helps. After Psalms and Proverbs, I believe. Yes, sir. All right, Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Father, this morning we are in deep need. We confess so often we do not think of you rightly. Throughout our days this week, we have thought little of you, nor have we made you the priority of our lives this week. We have neglected our rightful duty to obey you. We have neglected time to spend alone in prayer for ourselves, our families, and this church. Often, even, we have chosen things which dishonor you greatly. We have given our allegiance to idols of this earth, of fame, sexuality, money, pride, boastfulness, anger, envy, jealousy, omission, and commission. Father, we are broken and weak. And this morning, we need you greatly. By your supreme decree of grace through Christ, We know your power is made perfect in weakness. Father, now speak to your weak vessels. Right now, we ask for these next few minutes, Father, that you would dominate this time, that you would help us to focus, and that any schemes of the devil would be be thwarted by your power. We believe. Help our unbelief. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, and my rock and my redeemer. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And now we ask that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So very plainly, and with the utmost seriousness, I believe that there are two issues that every Christian faces each day even if they're unaware of the reality of these issues. Number one, do you understand sin for what it really is? Namely, the death, the destruction, the viciousness of sin, and its nature towards waging war against your soul. Do you know that sin is really bad? It's horrible. It's not even a second best to God. It's eating vomit, not even eating good food. And number two, do you truly know the amazing, wonderful compassion of our Father Yahweh? Have you truly understood his mercy, his compassion, his all-encompassing treasury of grace stored up for repentant sinners who come to him? So this morning, there's this huge issue at hand, a hurdle, something that affects each and every one of us every day. It's the question, do we believe God to be true? This is not, do we believe God exists? We know that he exists. The problem we face as we wake up each morning is do we believe God to be true? Is that will we set all of our hope upon the words of God that they are true and that they are good and they're precise for my life today? Tomorrow, will you wake up and pray, Father, I am weak. I trust your word as good and true for my life Over my sinful flesh and temptations? Will we strive to see sin as God has revealed it in His Word? That it's not only bad, it isn't even comparable to what amazing riches Christ has for us in Himself and in the everlasting life to come when we are with Him? Or will we be like the world in our understanding of our sin? That humans aren't really that bad? Or that I'm not as bad as that person, so I should be okay? And thankfully, God, through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, is calling for people to come and eat for food, which will truly satisfy, and it costs nothing. Focus your attention to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So we see in in verse seven, the wicked forsake his way. This can be said as the criminal would abandon his normal behavior. Let the evil one leave behind his custom that is natural to him. Let him leave behind his normal way of life. Often, I believe, us sitting here, we wouldn't call ourselves criminals or wicked or even unrighteous. Those aren't very appealing titles. We often think the best of ourselves. But because we are sinful people who are born into sin, it is vital that we learn something about sin that you may have never heard before. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see an all-powerful creator having good relationship with his creation, Adam and Eve. God graciously, in his supreme wisdom, as a good father, Gives them all the trees and plants and animals of this amazing garden, except for one tree. He commands them not to eat of this tree, for it would surely lead to death. And inside this gracious command to Adam and Eve, they fulfill it for some time. But not too late afterwards, the deceiver Satan comes into the scene. He starts blasting these lies at them, saying, did God actually say that? Eve, did he really mean what he said there? I even imagine he would say, are you sure that's good for you? Are you sure that's what you want for your life? Isn't God hiding something from you? And surely you won't die, Eve. Come on, you won't die. And so Eve trusts the lie of Satan and takes the fruit from the tree and her husband partakes in this sin as well. And in taking the fruit... Adam commits the first sin that would trickle down to all of humanity. In disobeying, Adam boldly stated that he did not believe that what God said was true, and he lived it out, that he did not believe that God knew what was best for his life. He took matters into his own hands, and at the same time, he proclaimed that he wanted to be the ruler of his own life, that he wanted to be the God of his own life, that he did not need this all-wise, infinitely good creator to show him what to do anymore. He chose himself. But I want you to think about something, Christian. Do you hear something in those verses that we just talked about? What do you hear? Listen carefully. Satan says, surely you will not die. What, what is this? It's a lie. It was a lie that the fruit was something to be desired, even though God graciously said it was not to be desired. Adam believed the lie. He took the bait, and he suffered the consequences. But don't you hear this in your own life? Don't you hear Satan saying to you, surely you won't die if you partake in that sin? Surely it's not that bad. He says, no, no, what danger could there be in one small sin? Go find this relief, this once more. Gratify your flesh, this once more. Answer the voice of your passions, this once more. We must know, Christian, that sin seeks to entice us to believe these lies over the truth that God has established for us. Sin is always hidden behind a lie, a distrust in what God said is good and true. So Christian, in, in order to understand sin rightly, we must know that each temptation or sin is always hidden behind a lie. We must not forget that choosing sin is neglecting the promises of God revealed in Scripture through Christ. In choosing to sin, we're saying that the the treasury of amazing grace and an infinite God on our side is not enough for us. It's not enough. We say that we aren't really pleased with an all-powerful, all-present God who is 100% working for the good of those who believe and trust in him. And so do you see how evil sin is in your life? Christian, do you see how terrible it is? Do you really even hate the sin in your life? Do you wage war against the sin in your life? Or is it a snake wrapping itself around your neck and you love the scales as they pass by to constrain and kill you? Do you really realize how bad sin is? Sin is killing us. It's ruining our families. It's destroying our marriages. It's hurting your relationships with your kids. Sin is actively teaching us to disobey God. Sin is tricking us that it's okay to follow the things of this world. Sin is destroying your mind. It's destroying how you perceive people. It's destroying our youth. It's destroying your young daughter's who feel as though they must compete with the latest trends of fashion and fake women on Instagram, is destroying our young men, tricking them into mindless allegiance to meaningless lives on video games and adolescence. Sin even says it's okay to go and flirt with that receptionist because it really won't go anywhere. Or that it's okay to look at that person over there because nobody will know. Christian, what's that one sin for you? What is, that, what is that manifold sin for you? What's that sin that's been with you for, for years now? Or it's been with you for a month? Is it explicit, explicit sexual sin? For someone who's not your spouse? Or someone online or in movies or in books that you read? What's your manifold sin? Have you been easily angered? each and every day of your life with drivers on the road or your co-workers or your children what's it for you don't think it's harmless it's not it's killing you it's changing your mind it's rewiring the way you understand this life it's conforming you into the image of more sin this is the weighty reality of sin I spend so much time here because with this understanding of sin and how evil and horrible it is, we can now throw ourselves upon the mercies of God and Christ. And don't we need that now? So let's shift our focus to how God responds when those sinful people repent, when we as sinful people repent from our ways and come to him for abundant pardon. Remember in verse 7 in your Bibles, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the criminal abandon his behavior. This passage is not calling for someone just to change their morning routine because they saw a quicker way to do it on YouTube. These words are calling for you to have a total life transformation. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Friends, have you lost your life for Christ? Have you lost your life on this earth? Jesus says to deny yourself, disown your prior life, pick up your crucifix, pick up your death stick, pick up your torture device and follow him. Because in losing this life on earth, humbling ourselves under Christ, We find new life and hope in him. When you die to yourself at the feet of the cross and put your trust in Christ, you cannot be the same. Indeed, you will not be the same. Mark 10, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life for his soul? Or what will anyone exchange, anyone give in, his, in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. What will it benefit you to gain in this life and be separated from Christ in eternity? The Lord is, is calling us to, to forsake our old life. And then in the middle of verse 7, it says to us who repent, Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is calling us to himself. He doesn't call us already perfect. In those verses above, he called those who are evil, criminals, wicked, and unrighteous by God's holy standard. And we know sin has infected all people. It's made an impact on all of life. So now the question, what happens when the wicked return to the Lord? What happens when these criminals return to the Lord? And verse 7 gives us great Hope, amazing hope that God will have compassion on us. Some versions say that he will have mercy or take pity, but all means the same. He will have compassion. And the root word for compassion is to love. God will meet repentant sinners with love. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 30, therefore, and this is an incredible verse. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isaiah 49, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Isn't this amazing that he will have compassion on the poor? the needy, the downcast, and those afflicted. I don't know what your week has looked like this week. Generally, these days, it seems like weeks are pretty tough. And isn't this amazing news that the Lord will have compassion on you if you're downcast and you're needy? And I think we we see this most intimately revealed in the life of Christ. He met everyone with the uttermost compassion. Corinthians tells us that God chose the humble in this life to shame the wise, So he didn't choose the religious leaders of the day or the emperor only, but his people were just like we are, the sexually immoral, the self-righteous, the tax collectors, the lame, the blind. And in a world where Jesus was, where women were neglected and treated as second-class citizens, Jesus met them with love and compassion. He brought hope to the life of the Samaritan woman at the well. Thinking of the Lord's compassion, it reminds me, and I think this is a great example if you're thinking, what, what is compassion? How does that really, what does that really look like in life of Luke chapter 15? There's three stories told in Luke. The first one, what man having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost? And when the sheep is found, he rejoices greatly. And when he comes home, he brings all his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Or what about a woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and look for the lost coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. And what about a man that had two sons and the younger one left with his share of his inheritance and lost all of it, uh, all of his property and living a reckless life? Later, there was a famine and a need, and he thought to himself, I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired slaves. And he rose, and he was coming to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion that he would meet him with love. So the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said his spiel, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said, bring quickly the best robes, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, kill the fattest calf and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he was found. And they began to celebrate. Do you know this amazing compassion of God? Do you understand the magnitude of his grace for you in Christ from the Father? Of course, he is justly wrathful against the unrepentant, and he must punish sin. But do you know this compassionate God, the Father who abundantly pardons his people, his beloved children, the lost, the sinners? Oh, friends, that you would know the depths of God's compassion for you through Christ. If you're here and you're trusting in Christ, in that story, you are the son. You once were dead and now you're alive. You you come back actively to the father saying, Father, I am unworthy. And yet again, he clothes you with the righteousness of Christ. And there is a great celebration and joy surrounding your repentance. But it can often hard to understand this right as the chapter points out we don't normally think this way about God we think he's often upstairs stubborn mad at us again that we sinned in that way that we said we wouldn't sin in again or that we dishonored our spouse in that way again or that we disobeyed his commands we just feel like he's up there looking down on us just seeing how big of a failure we are But we cannot settle for this view, Christians. We must strive to view God rightly, that he is able to save to the uttermost of your sinful life, that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. If you read, do you remember the example from the book? How a grandson, when his grandfather shows him a $100 bill, he concludes, man, my grandfather is so wealthy. But he has absolutely no clue about the billions in real estate of which the gift is just the tiniest reflection of that person's wealth. And it's, it's exactly the same kind of way with the Father. He tells us in plain terms, our natural view of, of God's heart and his forgiveness and his compassion is so very tiny of what is actually there. It's $100 compared to billions and billions. Praise be to God that his ways are not our ways and that his thoughts are not our thoughts, but that he can and will abundantly pardon for sin who all repent. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you turned away from your sin, your life of sinning, picked up your cross and, and placed your saving faith in Jesus in his sacrifice? Today is the day of salvation for every one of us here. And it is a promise in scripture that all who put their faith in Jesus today will be saved. For those who are Christians today, I have a couple questions for you too. Have you seen yourself grow in holiness this week? Have you seen your your affections, your desires, your love for Christ grow this month? Or have you seen it grow this year? We're in the 10th month. Have you seen it grow in the past 10 months? I want to warn you, Christians, that, that there is no complacency in this life. We're either moving forward to Christ or backsliding away from Him. There is no neutral ground. So, have you read your Bible this month? Have you even read one chapter or one verse this month? Have you gotten alone by yourself to pray at all recently? No, these are not, not means by which you are saved or means that justify you or means that make you better with Christ. These are means of grace from God to you each day to draw you to himself through a dependence in prayer, crying out, God, I need you, and through the empowerment of promises in scripture that'll help you to live your life. For that manifold sin we were talking about earlier, that sin that we just can't seem to shake, you need to know that sin and temptation is always packaged around a lie. The lie of fulfillment, the lie of satisfaction, a lie that it's greater than what God can give you right now through Christ. But I want you to take full assurance that God answers all prayers for grace and faith, and God delights, He takes joy in sanctifying his children through their trials. And just know that the Spirit is intimately working in your life to make you more like Christ through this situation, through this trial, through this family struggle, whatever it is. He is working in your specific situation right now, Christian, to make you more like Christ. Praise God. And so believe, this is an amazing truth, believe that this creator of the universe has a treasury of power and grace, and is one hundred percent devoted to doing good for his people to god's great glory and he will abundantly pardon and help the wicked turn from their ways first peter one three god's divine power has granted to you has granted to us has granted to all of us who place christ or put our faith in Christ his divine power is granted to you. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious, his precious and very great promises so that through them, through his precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature because we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I know that was short, and it's um, different from what we normally do. But I I pray that we we need those every day as we wake up. We need to understand that sin is really that bad. It is really horrible. It's ugly. If we were to put up all of your sins this past week on this television, no one would be left standing but Christ. He would be the only one still here for you. Not your spouse, not your children, no one in this church, only Christ so we must know every day as we wake up, yes, sin is this bad. It doesn't promise anything good for my life. It doesn't want anything good for me. And so I'm going to trust the promises in Christ that he will abundantly pardon for my sins of yesterday. And now I'm going to walk in that grace that he's enabling in me through his very great promises and precious promises. And so I know it's been short this morning, but I hope that you'll use even this time before we start the service to meditate on your own heart this past week and to even go up to someone else, ask them how they're doing, and pray for them um, and just walk in the way that Christ has had for us. So let's pray um, and then we can all hang out and rejoice in the Lord's amazing, great, beautiful, unceasing compassion for us. Father, Your son was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. See him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. Proofs I see sufficient of it. Tis a true and faithful word. Tell me, you who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great. Father, help us to view its nature rightly and here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load for all of us. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Here in Christ, we have a firm foundation. Here the refuge of the lost. Christ, the rock of our salvation. Christ, the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded. Sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. Father, we praise you for your great mercy and compassion, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, often we cannot even understand this great compassion that you have for us. Father, I pray that none of us would leave the same as we came in here, that that your word would reign true, and as it convicts, that we we would speak of these things, that we would confess our sins, One to another that we may be healed from these things and that we would pray for one another for there is power in prayer. Jesus, we just thank you so much for all of your grace and your compassion. That you who knew no sin, you who were the perfect spotless lamb, as you bore the griefs that night, you saw it fitting to follow the Father's perfect plan to go to the cross and to bear all of our sins of today, yesterday, our lives. And tomorrow, even though you knew not sin, and you went to the heavenly places after the third day and presented this perfect sacrifice, which appeased all of our wrath. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father. We couldn't be more thankful. It is truly an undeserved gift from you. Father, help us in our sins. We are, we are so weak. We give in a sin so much. Help us to wage war So we might be holy vessels that you enable for your glory to spread in China Grove and to the nations who are dying and needing your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.